This is Sacred Transformation, a Waypoint coaching community podcast, and I am your season one host, Helen Cotty. This podcast is dedicated to helping each of us to navigate the journey to wholeness through conversations with members of our community of transformational workers and those outside of our organisation who have helped to impact and inspire us. Our first season is called Coming Back to Life and launches midway through 2020, the year where the world was hit by a global pandemic and intense social upheaval. This first season is designed to help other coaches, transformational workers, and those who are simply interested and curious about inner transformation to enter the liminal space, where we find ourselves personally, nationally, and globally. After the season of death is the space before the rising, and in this space is where sacred transformation will begin. This is where we start the conversation about how to navigate and thrive. Welcome to the Sacred Transformation Podcast, Season 1, Coming Back to Life. Well, our first ever guest on the Sacred Transformation Podcast is Dr. Trent McGinty, who is not only a member of the Waypoint Coaching community, but he is also a certified coach, a physical therapist, professor and clinical instructor, as well as the founder of Fire and Water Coaching. Trent has been a good friend for a number of years, and we met in the Waypoint Coaching community. And I'm constantly inspired by his desire to improve to seek out new information, new ways of doing things, to better himself and the world around him. And I'm really excited to introduce you to him via this conversation, and particularly around the theme of vitality. One of the things that's true about Trent is that he is an expert in many things, and yet he holds it all really openly and beautifully. And he does that as he invites us into a conversation about how we can seek out vitality and create vitality in our lives, especially in this strange season that we find ourselves in. And we start with this podcast intentionally because it feels like for many people, vitality is something which is hard to find at the moment. And in Sacred Transformation, we are focused on the transformation of our bodies, of our minds, of our souls and our spirits. And this feels like a great place to start that conversation about transformation, is how do we find vitality in all areas of our lives and all aspects of ourselves. So this is Dr. Trent McGinty on vitality. Hey Trent, it's so good to have you here on the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you, thank you for having me. I'm doing great down here in Texas. Yeah, so it's um, this strange season we're in of COVID. You are over the pond. Um, what's it like over there? It is, um, it's up and it's here and we're still wondering like, you know, our governor just opened up Texas and guns blazing and <laughs> we're wondering, <laughs> we're wondering how that's going to go really. Yeah, Because um, yeah, yeah. I, you know, as we'll get into, I am in healthcare. So I'm also watching um, and waiting and seeing how all this stuff is going. And as I'm scanning the foreheads of the um, respiratory therapists going to the upper floors and stuff as, as screening goes, 
I'm wondering like, how busy is it up there? (laughs) So it's, it's getting interesting. So you're pretty front line then. Uh, Some days, some days more than others. I'm doing a lot of this online, um, treating people um, with physical therapy on uh, telehealth is what we call it. And so I'm about 80% telehealth right now. Me and my team are 80% telehealth and it's fantastic. I I actually really like it. Is that Um, completely new for you? Like this is a new thing you've had to do? Yeah, relatively new. We started two months ago and I've been very surprised to see people getting better at similar rates than what they would have had coming in the clinic and having me sticking them with needles and all those things that I can't do through the screen. So it's been really, really interesting. It's a great new skill to learn. I'm hoping that insurance companies will let us continue it past now because it's, it's been fantastic. It's so interesting, isn't it? All these things that people have had to adapt around and some of them it's I'm adapting. And as soon as I can go back, I'll go back. And then there are other things where you're like, Oh, I would never have thought of doing it this way, but it works. And there's something to it that's worth keeping. Well, and it's, it goes into a lot of the conversations we'll probably have in the future around, um, learning new techniques in a time of crisis. And so, you know, if somebody's listening to this five or 10 years from now, they'll be like, oh, there's, there was COVID and there was pre-COVID and there was post-COVID. And it's, it's something that affects the whole world, which doesn't happen often. Mm-hmm. So it is definitely a um, blip on the screen of the eternity marker and we'll never right. forget it. <laughs> we'll For never sure. Forget. My kids were having the conversation the other day about like what they'll say in the future when they talk back about this. And it was, it was a fascinating conversation and oh, yeah. you know, the stuff that they talk about from hundreds of years ago. I'm like, right. Oh yeah, crazy. And um, So we're going to have a conversation today around vitality. Um, I'm super interested about where this is going to go because you and I have had some similar training from a coaching perspective. So you're a certified coach, Um, but you also have this uh, like super unusual angle that you also do body health Um, and you have this medical understanding and medical background as well. So um first of all vitality what is it yeah so i um whenever i was reading the possible um topics for these podcasts that jumped off the page i'm like vitality and it wasn't like i'm an expert in vitality but it was like i want to know so much more about vitality and something just felt like it came alive so when i looked it up um oxford says it's a state of being strong and active energy and the power of giving continuance of life present in all living things. Then Merriam-Webster goes on to say, uh, lively and animated character, power of enduring, the peculiarity distinguishing the living from the non-living, capacity to live and develop, and lastly, uh, physical and mental vigor, especially when highly developed. Mm. so um there's a lot to chew on there um some of the things that stuck out stuck out is that last phrase when highly developed and we'll talk more about that today because vitality looks different for a lot of people it looks different for everyone and so um there's definitely that wellness will that we've all heard about that has the spiritual emotional and physical and it's um definitely all connected And so as a physical, or we're going to call me a physio today, because I think that's one of the phrases that you guys have way cooler than we do for physical (laughs) therapists. 
So oh, cool. I can use some English today. (laughs) I wish we'd just be physios. Um, So as a physio um, and as a clinical instructor teaching my students, um, it's very important that we're not just um, prescribers of exercise, but we're really um, taking people where they're at physically and emotionally. And especially in a time like this of COVID, it's like, Hmm, how do workouts even look with gyms closed and all this stuff um, and people thinking about their next paycheck that's not coming. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very different. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Can I ask you a question that I didn't tell you I was going to ask you, which is uh, why vitality? So I love some of those definitions of what vitality is, but why is vitality important? And specifically now, why is it important? Honestly, I think it's the essence. Um, So if I could think about like, what is the absolute most important thing to talk about or to address with my patients or myself, it's vitality. And this is why. Um, This is a quote. It says, people are like stained glass windows. They sparkle and shine when the sun's out, but when the darkness sets in and their true beauty is revealed only if there's light from within. That's Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And so if I achieve my best life, then every person I come across will leave asking like there's something different, like there's something really inside him that is attractive, that I want more of, uh, those kind of things. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's how we bring God to the world. And so vitality can look a lot of different ways. It can look like a person's physically fit. It can look like they are um, empathetic and intuitive. It can look like they are going to live until they're 120 because of so much um, health and virality that that you can see. And the metaphor that I came up with that I I was um, visualizing when I read that quote was, I grew up in a Presbyterian church in El Paso and we had the most fantastic stained glass windows. I mean, I've been all over Europe and I would put these up against anything I've seen in some of the best churches in Europe. And part of it was um, my mom and the women of the church made these windows by hand. They cut each little piece of glass. And then the men of the church, my dad included, installed these windows and they're just humongous and they cover the whole thing. And I remember these candlelight services at um, Christmas Eve where the whole place would light up from the inside and even going in, you could see the windows lit up from the inside. I'm like, man, what a great metaphor for that internal light that we all carry. And that some of us um, can keep, down um, because of the things, the busyness in life and all, um, mm-hmm. but that um, I feel like we really have to be intentional to bring out and show others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I love that, that metaphor because I think it's one of the things at the moment in this strange time that we're in where my experience of many people was the, the candlelight had dimmed somewhat from the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose there's an element of that that would be normal in inverted commas, when there's some kind of crisis or you're like thrust into this new season with no prep um, where the vitality seems to dim and that internal light just seems less bright. Would that be true from your experience? 
Absolutely. And I think there's a normalcy to that. Um, and, I, and it's great. I think it's okay. We need to give ourselves and the people around us permission for that, um, that season, that valley in life. Um, and I also think it's um, just like being in something like COVID. It's a place where we can learn and mm-hmm. it's the, um, the obstacle is the way. <laughs> um, it's a great book. Um, so I feel like in those places, we have to go there. Matter of fact, in coaching, we learn how to take people even deeper into that. Not because we're trying to torture them, but because we are trying to get them to completely feel that immersion so that they can pop out on the other side and become even more than what they were before. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. I think it's essential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, by the time people hear this podcast, uh, for the majority of us, we're going to be hopefully – um, over the peak of this, mm-hmm. certainly this first wave. Um, I know you guys are a couple of weeks ahead of us. Um, and so you're just opening up. Things are starting to change. Um, we're not quite there, but it's on the horizon. Um, how do you, how do we, how do, how do all of us um, have a sense of vitality, increase our vitality as we're still in lockdown in some ways, as life is still different, but in, in this, what we're calling the liminal space, the kind of space in between the thing that was and the new thing that hasn't quite yet begun. Yeah, how do we do it? Um, so there's a thing that we talk about in coaching a lot. It's the being and the doing. Mm-hmm. And so the being is being okay with where we're at right now and being very present in the moment, present with the people that we're with. <laughs> Our family right now a lot yeah. um, and then there's but if we just stay there and never did anything with that then what would that be um, and I actually have two opposing quotes on this um, one is by uh, H.E. Davy, and it says to maintain a powerful life force forget yourself forget about living and dying and bring your full attention into this moment so that's a very being quote mm. but then someone like Colin Powell um, we'll say the chief condition on which life, health, and vigor depend on is action. It's, it is by action that an organism develops its faculties, increases its energy, and attains the full fulfillment of its destiny. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so there is, I feel like there does have to be both. And um, there is, I mean, even in just, politics. I mean, there's these extremes and I feel like there's always the, the, an, the answer is always in the middle. Um, and that's kind of where I live life um, politically and also in a, lo- a lot of other ways is in this middle of yes, there's this and there's that. And I feel like um, freedom is related to vitality. And there is that freedom of I'm not really tied into this way of thinking or this way of being. I really do have that freedom to go here or there and say yes and this. And then I feel like even more so it's connecting to that inner authority. Um, for Christians, we might call it the Holy Spirit. For others, it's their, um, what would you, Helen, what would you say that inner thing is for people? Yeah, so I guess some people call it kind of source or spirit or connection or, you know, all those, that is that piece of you, I guess, isn't it? That connects to something wider than who you are as an individual. Um, 
that soul piece that um, it's interesting because I think for me and for many of the people I work with, uh, some of whom would, would be part of a religious system and others who wouldn't have any kind of structure around that. There's always something that happens around the sense of vitality when you connect to that thing, whatever that Mm -hmm. you call that thing. Yes. Um, There's something that sparks in people when they recognize um, life is not just my body, my mind, there's something wider and deeper and yes. bigger than this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's very, um, even for people that aren't um, religious um, or people that are of any type of religion, there's always that connection to something bigger than ourselves. And I feel like m- the majority of people would say there's something more than just me. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that is a huge part of vitality. Like just living for something like, okay, after I die, I'm not just worm food. After I die, maybe there's something else. And if we live like that, that is, um, that just changes the whole game. Um, John Burke, um, our pastor here in Austin wrote this book called Imagine Heaven. And it was very much about that. It was about like, what if there is science behind an afterlife? Mm-hmm. And he did a great job because he was originally an engineer. He did a great job at getting into the the black and white, the nuts and bolts about this whole thing, but then also letting people tell those stories and their feelings. And it was just this perfect mesh, which made it a New York Times bestseller. So um, definitely a book recommendation for you. Yeah, yeah. So um, there is something in the crossover when it comes to vitality of body and mind and soul spirit um it feels like there's something important about the connection of all of them together absolutely um and i think that is super important when we're coaching or when i'm treating a patient or even when i'm in the jail system where i'm a physical therapist i'm teaching to people that may not have a whole lot of hope and that definitely don't feel like they have much freedom Um, around, okay, if you're in this liminal space of being in jail and people tell you where to go, what to do, when to do it, um, what do you have control over still? And what might you be able to learn in this situation? Um, How could you improve on any of these things that we're about to talk about um, to get more vitality in your life? And um, some of those conversations are... um, pretty pretty intense i'll bet they are it's interesting i mean i um i knew that you worked in jails but i not really connected there's such an interesting perspective there of um the loss of freedoms um which many of us are feeling at the moment um so you have a curious experience of walking people through physical health and vitality um when they have lost a tremendous amount of freedom. Yeah. And um, another book recommendation, Victor Frankl. It's Victor oh, with yes. a K, A Man's Search for Meaning. It's got to be one of my favorite books. And one of the reasons I loved it, it's very short. <laughs> he was a psychologist in, he was a Jewish psychologist in Auschwitz. And he, you know, as psychologists, um, that was my first degree. And as psychologists, we're always thinking about, okay, we've got to control the variables. And also, you got to run any research that you do through this internal review board. And they're going to approve or not approve this, that, and the other. 
And there's only so much you can get approved because they're trying to keep people safe. Well, there's no safe in Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. And he was there and he's looking around going, I would never be able to get this approved by any IRP because we are in this place. We all have the same food. We all have the same horrible living conditions. And so he starts to do interviews of all of these people around him. And he starts to predict who will live and who will die. Oh my gosh. And it was based on hope. That's the number one predictor because he would ask somebody um, about their life. And it essentially came down to, I have to get out of here to find my daughter. I have to get out of here to complete my life's work or my whole family is gone and I have nothing more to live for. They were almost essentially gone in days. But these others, they lasted months and were able to get, and same food, same living conditions, but the variable was hope. And that's the one thing that they couldn't take away is that internal flame, that hope that we are going to do this, we are gonna survive. Mm. And so I feel like that is something um, with my inmates in jail about what, where is your hope? What are you putting your hope in right now? Right. And um, I, I feel like it's the same. I mean, just are you aiming towards gratitude or, you know, condemning everything? And um, so, yeah, it's, I would say they've taught me much more than I've probably taught them. In wow. It's so interesting. I'm thinking of um, some people in my world where you have conversations and they have this very like dour, down, pessimistic, well, you know, COVID's just, it's here to stay now and there's going to be a second wave. And Mm -hmm. um, then there was all the conspiracy theories that came out and it literally kind of sucks the hope and vitality out of your soul when you're in conversations with those people. Like you can feel it. And then equally, you have conversations with people who have this sense of, thriving and hope and it's not a false hope it's not like oh well there's nothing going on but it's the people who are so what are we learning um what you know what are the benefits of this season that we wouldn't have had if we had you know if we hadn't have walked this and you can feel the shift like energetically in your body you can feel it in your spirit it's it's tangible right and one of the questions is what's possible what's possible from here nice and um For instance, my small group at church, um, we've been talking about opening up a food pantry for months pre-COVID. We're talking October back last year and how much work that is to get going. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it was no work at all. It was open the doors, ask for donations and it was done. And week after week, all these people. So what would have taken us a year and a half of super hard work happened with very little work in about two months. And now it's going to be there for years to come. Mm -hmm. And so, and it was all because these people in my small group said, well, what's possible now? We want to do this. It's needed now. So let's do it now. And it happened. So things like that, I think, are just small examples of things that can happen in this liminal space um, where if we ask ourselves what's possible instead of uh, what, what, do I not have control over and what am I going to fear and what am I going, what's going to take my hope away? Um, What hope can I show to others Mm -hmm. in the neighborhood or around? Yeah. I I was um, chatting to a friend this week. So she's a 
over in the US as well. And um, for a good while, she's been talking about quitting her job because there is this, um, this work script that you guys got handed, which we have different over here, but it's this, you're first in, you're last out, you work 100-hour weeks as standard. And she just knew internally something in her spirit was like, this is not right, it's not the best. But um, it's really hard to get out of that system because it just perpetuates itself, right? So if you're, it wasn't about changing jobs because then you move from the same thing here to the same thing somewhere else. Um, But uh, when I was talking to her the other day, she was like, this should be the worst time for me to quit my job but this was exactly the right time for me to do it. And there was such vitality in the way she was speaking. Like something in her had come alive that this was only possible here because it had forced her to face up to this thing that wasn't working, hadn't been working for a long time, bad scripts that gets handed over. Um, But now was the time, strangely, when she had the life in her to be able to do it. Yeah. Amazing to witness. It absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. So um, you sent over some stuff about the seven pillars of vitality, and I'd love us to go through this, um, if that's okay, because um, I read through these. I've never seen them put together as like a list, but every single one of them I was like, oh, my gosh, yep, yep, yep. Like these are things which I guess you must see all the time as a physio. Yeah. Um, these yeah. things make a tremendous difference to that thing that we're talking about. Right. So I'm going to read this list and it's going to be like, duh, of course. Yes. And so there's not anything that's super profound on this list, but here's the problem is even as physios, we don't focus on this stuff near enough. Right. We think about the exercise part and we don't think about these others. So I'm going to run through it and then we'll talk, we'll break them down. Okay. Um, number one, preventative maintenance. Number two, nutrition. Number three, hydration. Number four, exercise. Number five, sleep. Number six, stress reduction. And number seven, spirituality. So um, all of those people would say, yeah, if I focused on that, I'd probably be healthier. Um, and if you take a check and you go through this list, every single person will be able to circle one and be like, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I need that one. And I need a lot more of that right now. Right. So uh, preventative maintenance is those things where when we come of certain ages, we have to go to doctors for certain things that we're not used <laughs> to going. Right. We're the same age. Helen. We are <laughs> the understand? same age. I think you're faring better than I am. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> So, um, and I will tell you that some of my older friends will say that it's literally saved their life to go get a little blood work or to go get that screen that they didn't want to get. And um, so those normal checkups, the yearly blood work, the vaccinations, those, um, also your body tells you if there's something wrong, if you listen. Most people, when they get really sick, they will say, yes, my body's been telling me that for months, Mm -hmm. but I ignored it because I was working a hundred hour a week or something like that. There's way too much going on for me to think about and take care of myself. It really doesn't take that much time to keep that preventative maintenance, just like on an old car. Mm. No, it's an interesting one. I think this is something that you guys do better than we do over here. Mm. Um, Possibly 
um, because of the structure of your healthcare system, which we'll not get into some of the flaws over there, <laughs> but um, we don't have this readily available. Um, Interesting. So I think over here, people only seek uh, any kind of medical professional or physio or anything when something has gone severely wrong. Mm. And um, so I think for anyone listening who's British, I want to double underline this preventative one. Um, I don't think we're taught to do it. I don't think we're told to do it. Um, it's got to be there. It's got to be available. Um, right. But I just don't think that we prioritize it at all. So I have a checkup, my yearly checkup next Tuesday with my doctor. And one of the reasons I'm doing it is because if I make that appointment, I get $175, no, $225 into my account for healthcare. Really? Just by just by taking that visit. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So, and the reason they do that is because the insurance companies save money if they catch this stuff early because it gets really expensive if I have cancer and it's caught late. Right. Um, versus if I just keep up on my stuff yearly and get my things taken care of, then we're healthier and we're less expensive to the insurance company. So, of course, it's all motivated by money and it's good for the patient. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Yeah. So, okay, number two. two. Nutrition. So this, I feel like, is the, over the next hundred years in healthcare, I feel like um, gastro health, the gut health, is the next frontier. I feel like there is, we're missing something, we're going to find it, and people are going to be much healthier as a result. Mm -hmm. And I am not going to go deep into this because there's a whole other podcast in this and there's other waypoint people that are way more um, in on this and I'm going to leave it to them. Um, but I do, there are some um, recommendations. Uh, the longevity diet is a good one. Um, and I believe that's by a Dr. Longo, L-O-N-G-O. And um, a buddy of mine just sent me something last night um, and he is big on intermittent fasting. Mm. And so thank you, Scott Hunting Cunningham down in Nicaragua. And he um, was talking about Peter Atia, A-T-T-I-A, -T -T -A, um, who is also big into the intermittent fasting. So that is, we used to, back early in my career, we would say the most important meal of the day is breakfast. And you have to get these short snacks throughout the day, um, every waking hour to keep your metabolism burning. I'm really pretty sure that's a bunch of BS now. I never <laughs> tell a patient that anymore. Um, I always knew that. I never ate breakfast. <laughs> people used to make me eat breakfast and I knew it didn't work. You knew it. I know, right. but I was See, easily that was swayed. Body, that was your body <laughs> talking to you, telling you what was right for your body. So, um, so if we skip breakfast, not only is that less calories into the system, which makes weight loss easier, but something I think happens in the body where your GI starts to repair itself if you have these intermittent fasts. So let's say from 6 p.m. at night, all the way to 12 uh, p.m. In, uh, at lunch. Um, is, this is my parents do this, and they are extremely healthy. They lost a ton of the weight. They don't miss having them prepare dinner at night. Mm. Um, so they, they stop eating um, at lunch, and then they eat breakfast the next day. So wow. there's that good 18 hours or so 
where there's, you don't have to worry about food. They actually don't feel, they, you feel more energy, not less energy by putting less food in your body. It's That's amazing. so interesting. Now, my buddy Scott down in Nicaragua, he's a missionary. He runs 100K with two volcanoes. Yes. Uh, and see, you like how I put that in British terms for you? Because um, that's, that's like a lot of miles. I don't even know how many, but it's a lot of miles. It's like 60-something miles straight. Wow. And he lost like 20 pounds, and he was unable to do 100K before he started doing this intermittent fasting. And now he's on a fast and go out and run eight miles. Like there's nothing to it. And he hasn't eaten in like two and a half days or <laughs> I think it was what, 26 hours or something. Wow. Um, so there is something to it. I've seen enough evidence anecdotal and um, in the literature. So anyway, intermittent fasting, things like that. That's one great illustration example mm-hmm. um, of something that I really feels improves uh, physical vitality. Yeah. And of course there's energy, emotional, all that stuff that is, is fantastic. Um, hydration is the next one. Now I put some numbers here. Um, 3.7 liters for men, 2.7 liters for women of water in a day. That's a lot of water. A lot of water. I would never leave the bathroom. I thought you were about to go (laughs) British on me then when you said a lot of water. (laughs) Yeah. I meant to, I meant to put that in our alliance at the beginning of the call that I was going to pronounce things in British because... (laughs) Because I pick it up, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so for, uh, for you Americans, that's 15.5 cups of water and 11.5 cups for women. Now, here um, I'm full of grace because um, as a young man, I would go from coffee to soda to beer with no water. <laughs> and I'm only getting better. Um, I'm only helping to improve a little bit more water throughout the day as much as I can get in between patients if, if I were to circle one, this would be one of the ones I would circle. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could go on and on about how important water is to our joints and to our organs and all that stuff. But um, it's really hard to overhydrate. It's possible, but it's very unprobable that anyone's going to overhydrate. So okay, so that. lots now, and lots of water. Lots of water. And, and of course, you could. I would figure you would probably adjust for the size of the person, but I would just say more is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Exercise is the next one. Now, um, as a physio, of course, I'm tempted to get deep into this, but I won't. Um, Exercise, everyone can exercise. Even somebody that is borderline heart attack or have just previously had a heart attack, um, you might need to check with your doctors. You might need to work with somebody that's professional to figure out what a safe way to exercise is, but everyone can exercise. People say, I don't exercise because my knee's bad, so I can't run anymore. Doesn't mean you can't cycle doesn't mean you can't do this, that, or the other, or swim. So there's a ton of excuses out there why we can't exercise. I know I've given them for a long time. I felt like a hypocrite because I was not exercising regularly. Mm-hmm. And um, it turned out for me, the thing that broke the dam, as a Enneagram 7, I had to have um, creativity and difference in my exercise. Yeah. So. I was unable to do the same thing all the time. I can't just go run three miles, three times a week. I would lose my mind. I'm so bored. But if I have this cool new app and it tells me how to exercise and it teaches me different exercises that I've never thought of, I'm I'm in. And I was able, I'm now able to stay up a lot more. um, I think um, exercise is the one that 
uh, like people bring this up a lot in coaching exercise comes in super regularly and um, it's the one that people seem to get stuck on the can'ts all the things mm-hmm. they can't do um, and it's so interesting when you just say to people so what can you do there's always something you can do there's always a way you can do it whether it's something that suits your personality or your body or whatever else and um, yeah just starting with the little you can do rather than of course there are some things you can't do like sure yeah. Yeah. Unless you're some kind of Olympic athlete, there's going to be some things you can't do. But this seems to be the one more often that people get stuck on the can'ts and then they get in right. this weird shame cycle of what they can't do. And then there's the um, Dr. Bog, B-O-G-G-E, wrote a book called Tiny Habits. And oh, that's yeah, yeah. another big breakthrough that many of us have heard of. Um, but it's all about, okay, instead of just, I'm going to go run three miles, three times a week, which often is going to fail. You set up something super easy to do. Like I'm going to wake up, put my feet on the floor, put my running shoes on. That's it. I'm going to do that for two weeks. And it's that very small step because you're committed to nothing more than taking off your shoes and going back to bed Right. until you get in the habit of putting on your shoes. And then one day it's like, man, I already got my shoes on as well and it happens so um it's it's very counterintuitive to start that small um, because it's actually not exercise that you're prescribing you're just prescribing putting somebody's shoes on yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but it's really profound the way that that takes off so i so i use that uh tiny habits um thing with the hydration so my uh, first yeah. one was to put my water bottle next to my coffee pot mm-hmm. because there's no way i'm going to miss my coffee and then now I drink so much more water, but like I can show you right here, I always have uh-huh. water next uh-huh. to coffee, always. Cheers. There we go. <laughs> um, and it's amazing. Just those like little habits of like just where I put my bottle of water means that I now drink water. Um, and it didn't take that long from drinking Absolutely. no water, from drinking, you know, coffee and more coffee. So <laughs> yeah, it's great. Okay. Uh, talk to me about sleep. All right. So I would put this up with um, GI health and nutrition. Um, One of the doctors I used to work with, Mark Kralt, he was all about if people are not sleeping, they're going to be in more pain. They're going to take more drugs. They're going to have much less likelihood to exercise. And when I start, and it's always been kind of one of the check boxes on the intro paperwork. Um, But I think, again, often we gloss over it for the things that we feel are more important to what we're doing that day. But Mm -hmm. when I stopped glossing over that and I started working with my doctors about people that are not sleeping and really trying to get them to sleep one way or another, whether that be sleep tests or whatever they need to do. Some of it's just sleep hygiene, like turning off the screen for 10 for an hour before you go to bed. Um, And So once sleep gets in better control, some of it is just uh, timing of medication, like taking their anti-inflammatory pill with dinner instead of breakfast because they are waking up with pain at 3 a.m. in the morning. If we can somehow um, tweak it so people can sleep, if they get, that's when the body repairs, that's when healing happens. So addressing things like sleep apnea, nobody wants to be hooked up to this machine at night so they can breathe, but breathe, the oxygen's not overrated, especially when you're sleeping. Right. So, um, so yeah, and addressing insomnia, sometimes um, addressing insomnia needs to come from the psychology part of things. So there's just a ton of stuff. And so I would, um, say if people are not sleeping, they need to keep trying to find the answer. 
and not just blow it off and say, I don't sleep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Speaking and, to me there, aren't you? Just yeah. so you know. <laughs> of course, of course, always. Um, here's the other part is sleep becomes more um, evasive as we grow older. That's natural. Uh, okay. That's why old people take naps during the middle of the day, which is also super healthy. So sometimes it's not about getting it all at once. It's about getting it. Okay. So whatever that looks for in, in your lifestyle. Stress, 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 stress. So um, we're pretty – I would love to stick to articles, but that's just not me. Um, so I know there are articles out there that say um, that stress is related to um, – detriments in the body so um stress can we'll, we'll get on in a little bit more in the next part of the conversation but um stress is a huge huge deal when mm-hmm. it comes to your mental and physical health um so we know that meditation can drop blood pressure high blood pressure so mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that don't have the blood pressure under control with medication. As a matter of fact, they usually need two types of medication okay. to get the blood pressure down. And that's another thing that people can easily um, monitor. Um, but it's not just when you start to meditate, your blood pressure will get better over time. It's actually when you start to meditate, your blood pressure gets better in the session. Oh, so wow, we that know quick. there is that mind-body connection. Wow. Um, where, yes, it can happen real quick, especially the better you get at it um, by practice. Mindfulness is really big right now. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a thing. It's a big thing. So um, checking in things like that um, around stress reduction. Last one, spirituality. This goes back to uh, life purpose. What are you putting your faith in? What are you putting your trust in? Are we putting it in money? Are we putting it in government? Are we putting it in something bigger than ourselves. And um, I feel like that is a place, again, where people, um, if you're going to commit some time and research into looking into something, mm-hmm. why not look into something that could mean eternity? <laughs> right. And um, what does that mean in the moment for your day-to-day, for the people mm-hmm. around you? Because I think um, most of us agree that um, love is at the center of it. And if we can show love to not just others, but to ourselves, then there is a jump in that spirituality where if we can just start with love, because I feel like most of the world can agree that that's, <laughs> it's real, it's a thing, it's needed right now more than anything. Yeah. And if we can agree on that and start from there, then the rest of the you know, nuts and bolts will work itself out. So mm-hmm. um, there's that. I, what I love about these seven is, um, so the question that I had going into this podcast recording was, is it possible to have vitality in quarantine, in lockdown, in the middle of a global pandemic? And looking at those seven, the answer is clearly, yes, it is. So if these are the things that are the pillars of vitality that are going to help you in simple ways, you, you, we can do stuff, right? It, it might look a little bit different than it did before, but actually for most of us, life looks different anyway. So we're automatically thinking of different things to do, different ways of doing it. Um, and this is going to connect in with the challenge that you set. So we also want to kind of leave uh, the podcast with a challenge uh, for people. Um, 
you put in in the notes uh, low hanging fruit mm-hmm. talk to me about low hanging fruit because i think this is genius yeah so the you want to look at one of the seven that you know you need but also you know you can achieve so starting with that um, in the tiny habits if you start with that and you get some quick wins then it starts the snowball rolling downhill and you'll be able to gain more and more momentum for um, some of the others that may even be more important. It doesn't matter. It's Mm -hmm. all about um, taking that next best step towards health and vitality. And if you can do that, and if you can get those wins, then you will be able to post COVID when you can go back to the gym and do things. Um, You've already got that momentum going in. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. I was thinking about this like personally. So I've finally been given um, some medication that's helping me sleep after years and years of not sleeping. It's amazing. I feel better. So actually now I'm walking five miles a day, which I couldn't do because I was so tired. Um, So that now has become like, oh, I can do this now. So it's kind of the next low hanging fruit that didn't feel like it before. Yeah. Uh, because it's like I've been kind of boosted up. So it's the next level of low hanging fruit. And then the next one I'm thinking about now is, is the nutrition piece, but because I'm walking more, it makes me want to consider my nutrition. Yes. Like, and it's amazing how something that felt a million miles away, mm-hmm. once you start to pick the low hanging fruit just gets a little closer each time. Absolutely. And now you said you want to, rather than a should, like I Uh should do this. And then I see you out there with your pictures with your daughter and walking through the wilderness. And how cool is that? I mean, she's going to remember these things when she's an old woman and she's like, my mom and I used to get out there and do this stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's great. And so, yeah. Well, um, I'm so sad that our time is up because it feels like we could go in a thousand more places. So uh, watch this space, people. We may well have Trent back to (laughs) other things, vitality and body health. Um, Thank you for your time. Thank you for making this um, accessible to all of us. And um, I appreciate the wisdom that you bring to this, both as a coach and as a physio. Um, Thank you for having me. And I want to share one more quote before we leave. Yeah, please do. It says, this is by Lydia Child. The cure for all the ills and wrongs, the cares, the sorrows, and the crimes of humanity all lie in one word, love. It is the divine vitality that everywhere produces and restores life. That is the way to end a podcast conversation. (laughs) Nice. Thank you, mate. I love you, sis. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.